Welcome to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking indeed, although not so much debunking this week. Oh, we did a bunch for the last two. Oh, we did. We did. There's also, I'm so sorry, there uh, is probably no metaphysical dicks this week. Darn. I know. Shucks. I know. (laughs) <laughs> I've just killed everyone's Christmas. You're welcome. My name is Kim. I'll be your Grinch tonight. Come on this journey with me. Can't wait. Yes. Uh, no, actually, this is a case I wasn't super familiar with uh, before I started researching, if I'm being honest. That doesn't happen a lot. No, it doesn't. I get really excited when you get cases like that. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, okay. So full disclosure, what initially caught my attention about the case was the nickname the killer had. I have this book... Uh, it's Unsolved Serial Killers by D.R. Werner. It's it's a great reference. It's got some kind of like cool, weird, less known cases. Nice. Yeah, and and like when I when I picked up the book, I was like, well, I know some of these, but I don't know a bunch of them. What caught my attention was the case of Jack the Stripper. I'm sorry. What? So okay, Jack the Stripper. That is the nickname he was given by. The media. Okay. And at first glance, you're like, sure, yeah, that's that's a funny name. It's an obvious play on Jack the Ripper. Also would make for a really great stripper name. I No, that was actually the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, that would be an awesome stripper name or burlesque name, potentially. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, and, and in all fairness, the case is unsolved to this okay. day. So we don't have a proper name to attach to it. But once my giggles died down, uh, I have to say, reflecting on it, it does kind of capture a lot of the criticism people have about how serial murderers are treated by the media. Okay. Well, because, like, the name Jack the Stripper, it's obviously designed to be catchy, titillating. Yeah, exactly. You know, but does calling the killer Jack the Stripper... Does it detract from the seriousness of what are some some pretty awful murders? A hundred percent, because it feels jokey. It doesn't feel serious. It doesn't feel serious. Yeah. Uh, so mulling over it, I I actually kind of actively dislike the moniker. Um, I will only use it where I absolutely have to, be it either from quoting someone or if it becomes necessary. But otherwise, uh, I will refer to this by the other way the case is sometimes talked about, which is the Hammersmith nude murders. I'm so curious. I've never heard of this one before. I'm really excited to learn about it. In 1964 to 1965, a serial killer killed at least six women in the Hammersmith district uh, in London. And uh, so you've never heard about this ever, period, full stop. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, What what actually, again, kind of caught my attention as well is that um, I may have mentioned on the podcast before, I did my postgrad work in London. Right. You talked about it. Last yeah. episode. Yeah. 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 I, I went to school there and I went to school not too far away from where these murders would have taken place. Uh, so it was kind of weird researching it and looking at some pictures and being like, I know exactly where that is. I've passed by there. That's creepy. It's a little creepy. Um, but we're, we're going to be going back in time to 1960s London. As always, I'm putting my little disclaimer in, uh, even though these ca- this case wasn't that long ago compared to some of the cases we've covered there was a lot of discrepancies especially when dealing with the ages and backgrounds of some of the victims i did my best to trace the most accurate source possible sometimes i had to take my best guess or go with what was the most consistent across sources uh, or what seemed the most reliable but just you know fyi if you read about this you may read some stuff that's Mildly different because there was a lot of things that were reported differently, even in the papers. Noted. But back to 1960s London. It's a swinging time. 
I'm not going to lie. The first thing I think of when I think of 1960s London is Austin Powers. Oh, my God. I'm so happy that you said that because I love Austin Powers so much. I I feel like it's I don't know if it's because like, I mean, we weren't alive in the 60s. And so the biggest frame of reference I have for the 60s was Austin Powers because that was the media that we saw when, you know, yep. Um, groovy, baby. Groovy. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, London. <laughs> Um, but you know, it was, it was an exciting time. You had music. Music was really great in the sixties, uh, fashion, lots of sex. And the city of London had been progressively cracking down on sex workers, which is historically an awesome idea and always turns out well, says everyone all the time. Yeah. Well, what this means is that you have, you're punishing sex workers, which leads to them not trusting the police. So they're not reporting things. Mm-hmm. And if something happens to them, if they're attacked, if, if, if something freaks them out, they're reluctant to go say anything because they can get arrested for being a sex worker. Yeah. Now, a lot of these sex workers worked the banks of the River Thames, uh, which also kind of had a little bit of a reputation for who was hanging out there. Mm-hmm. On February 2nd of 1964, two brothers spotted something on the banks of the Thames near the Hammersmith Bridge. Quote, my brother and I had gone down to the sailing club early to get the rescue launch ready for the afternoon sailing. We were both in the launch bailing it out. The launch was lying in the mud by the old pontoon, which we don't use very much now. It was low tide. Then Douglas noticed the body wedged under the pontoon. We could see all of the body except for the head. I was pretty churned up about it. Yikes. It was the body of Hannah Tailford. She was nude except for her stockings, which were pulled down around her ankles. She'd been kind of covered up in driftwood uh, and also apparently a Christmas tree that someone had dumped in the water. Is that why you chose this episode? Because it's the holiday season? Yes, yes. That was that was the only reason. I was like, what screams? <laughs> Happy holidays. A dead Hiding body and a Christmas tree. Bodies under trees, exactly. That's the best As present. Santa intended. <laughs> that just got real dark. <laughs> Santa intended. Haven't you seen Silent Night, Bloody Night, Deadly Night, Silent Night, Deadly Night? There we go. I got it right the second time. I mean, all of the above sounds like a good time, so. Her semen-stained underwear have been forced down her throat. Oh. She had several teeth missing. Teeth that had been deliberately pulled out. Oh, dang. Now, some of the reports said that at the time of her death, she was pregnant. I I had a little bit of trouble verifying that. It was something that popped up sometimes and others said something different. So it is very possible she was pregnant at the time of her death. Um, she had been in the water for somewhere between two to seven days at that point. So pretty bloated, probably. Yeah. Well, and and um, it sounds like, oh, never mind. She was five foot two with brown hair and brown eyes. Uh, we know she had been missing for a number of days when her body was found. Her partner, Alan, last saw Hannah on the evening of January 24th, 1964. She had been playing with her daughter before going out at about 9 p.m. And apparently the last thing she said to her daughter, who's a toddler, was, how would you like a new mother? What? Well, and this was something that kind of came up when Alan was talking about her leaving is that, you know, she she worked as a sex worker. Um, She had been seeing another person, maybe a client, but also maybe somebody that was more serious because she'd been talking to Alan about it. Um, Was this statement made because she was unhappy? Was she depressed? You know, being an unwed mother during this time in the UK was especially rough. There was a lot of stigma associated with it. Uh, Your life was harder. If you were a woman unmarried with a child, like things were hard. Um, Her relationship with her extended family was not awesome. Besides her daughter, she had what appeared to have been three other children. Oh, dang. Uh, All boys, and she gave them all up for adoption. 
so when she doesn't return home on January 25th, Alan wasn't too worried. Again, it was not uncommon for her to be out all night, especially if she was working. But after her parting words, I think he was maybe having a little bit of doubts. He went over to the neighbors and apparently said, the cow left me with the kid. <gasps> yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, cow is kind of used as a insult there for a woman. It's not an uncommon one, but that's still not a nice thing to say about your partner. No, that is not a nice thing to say. Um, now, it wouldn't be until a few more days had passed that Alan genuinely started to believe that Hannah must have left. Uh, some accounts say he gave her things away and others said that some friends came over and took them. Um, on February 4th, two days after her body was found, Alan bought a paper to go read at the pub. And this would be how he would find out that Hannah had died. Oh, that's messed up. Yeah. As tragic as all this is, police weren't taking it very seriously. It reminded me a lot of the initial police reaction to uh, Gary Ridgway's first I was victims. Just thinking that. Yeah. Um, well, it, there's a lot of similarities. So, I mean, you know, he targeted sex workers and, and runaways and other vulnerable women. Um, it's very sad, but these things happen. That was kind of the attitude of the police. Oh, that's so unfortunate. A few months later, April 8th, 1964, Sergeant Robert Powell was out patrolling when he saw a naked woman's body on the beach. Her body had been hit with the blade of a boat. Yeah, it left a gash on her torso. Oh, geez. She was found about 300 yards upstream from where they found Hannah Tailford's body. Her name was Irene Lockwood. She was a 25-year-old sex worker, about five foot, with bottle blonde hair. Bottle. I haven't heard yeah. that before. Bottle blonde hair? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, blonde from a bottle. Oh, bo- bottle blonde. Bleached. Bleached, yeah. But it's the Got expression. It. Bottle. You never heard bottle blonde hair? No. I. For my oh. thought, that's so weird. My thought process of bottle would be a glass bottle. Like, I'm thinking, like, bottle green of, like... Oh, funny. Like, it's just a different... Type of I'm bottle. trying to think, like, I don't know if it's an older expression or if it's a British expression that I just know because I consume too much British media and live there. But mm-hmm. I feel like I knew that. I think it's, I think it's a time expression. I like in the 60s that was an expression. I could see that because I think that was, that was a time where a lot of people, my mom actually had like really oh, yeah. funny bleach blonde, short, mm-hmm. short hair. And you did it some, yourself. Uh, wild eyebrows. Um, mm. I'll have to show you that picture of my mom sometime. <laughs> no, I desperately need to see it. Can we post it to our Instagram or would she kill us? She might murder me, but maybe that would make for a good topic for you to cover. I would point. absolutely. <laughs> if your mom murders you, I will cover the fuck out of that. Also, it'd be super funny to just randomly post a picture of my mom in the 60s and give no context. Tell you what, you do that for your mom i will do that for norma oh that might be so fun our mom's in the 60s but not in london and both still alive both still alive (laughs) the thing is too if i say to my mom like could you give me a picture of you from the 60s and just send it to me and she'd be like okay i know i I think my mom would too but if i told her i was posting it she might get upset at me i don't know she might not care i probably have some uh, i think i have it somewhere and i might just do it Like Hannah, she had a somewhat difficult relationship with her family. Uh, She had a tattoo that said, in memory of John. She was also missing teeth. Hmm. There was semen found around her uh, vagina and anus. She had been about 14 to 18 weeks pregnant at the time of her death. Yikes. And I can't tell if maybe that was some of what's happening with Hannah. Oh, uh, also being, I, I don't know if they both were pregnant at the time of their death or if that's where some of the reporting gets a little bit cross-eyed. Uh, she had been in the water for less than 48 hours, given the state of her body. But the initial cause of death was listed as drowning. Which, okay, sure. <laughs> but, like, that doesn't seem to check. I mean, the whole being stripped naked suggests maybe somebody helped her drown. Unless she decided to go skinny dipping and just it didn't work out. But. And it didn't work out. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, police did, however, kind of suspect, okay, maybe these two deaths are linked. So good for them. Only took them two this time. It took them like five with Ridgeway. So. Dang. That's, that's a win, a win, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's a very low bar. Um, Fair. I do have to say, some of the articles I read, they're just kind of silly. How? 
Okay, okay. So this one article ran in the Daily Mail, and it had the headline. See, I can't even say it without giggling. River nude. It may be murder. <laughs> right? No, that's funny. Wait, but who's nude? Is the river nude? The river that's, is naked. These are my questions. You need to be more specific. Uh, <laughs> the article then goes on to say, Scotland Yard said today that the case of the tattooed blonde whose nude body was found in the River Thames at Chiswick, London yesterday was being treated as one of possible murder. This was mainly because of the mystery of the missing clothing. That sounds like a really funny book. <laughs> it sounds like like a weird Scooby-Doo episode. Yes! <laughs> The mystery of the missing clothing. I I mean, like, again, I I giggled when I read this and I had that moment of I'm reading this and, oh, this is so funny. And then stopping and I'm like, I'm laughing about this funny article, but a woman is dead. Yeah. So it's it's that it's that kind of messed up way things were being shown in the media because it's titillating. But you're talking about now two women who have been murdered. I think it's also a way to desensitize the audience sure. and to like make someone want to read something that if it were just to say woman murdered and like no context of anything else or if it were to say something that had like a less fun title someone might not read it. Yeah. The intent could be to just catch someone's attention and be like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and then read the article and then figure out what it's about. Well, I feel like, though, I mean, the intention is to sell papers. So some, you know, headlines like that are going to sell papers. Now, is it the most respectful way to be talking about a murder victim is the question. But it's it's really telling how not just how the media was viewing these killings, but the way they're being presented to the public is that these are two women, two sex workers – so if, uh, you know, if, if these had been nice girls from nice families, nice is in quotes, P.S., if you couldn't tell from my tone, nice girls from nice families who were upstanding and got good grades and had shiny hair, would the newspapers be saying, you know, river nudes? No, they'd be like, nice girl from a nice family found naked in the river tragedy. Now, a few weeks later, on April 27th of 1964, 54-year-old Kenneth Archibald waltzed into the police station and confessed that he pushed, quote, the girl in the river, you know, the blonde, Lockwood at Chiswick. He claimed to have no knowledge or involvement in Hannah Tailford's death, however, and the story became inconsistent. Ultimately, uh, he was let go. But the story is gaining some momentum starting to get a little sensationalized. Headlines reading, Maniac Sex Killer being splashed across newspapers. That's a way to get someone's attention. I mean, you know. Uh, At 7.15 a.m. on April 24th, a third body was found. 22-year-old Helen Bartholomew. What a name. I gotta check that date. Hold on, that seems weird. Did I get that wrong? Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, Helen Barthelme. Oh, April 24th. Okay, I did have that right. I'll say that again. Oh, I thought that was wrong. At about 7.15 a.m. on April 24th, a third body was found. 22-year-old Helen Barthelme. That's a name. That's a name. Uh, now, unlike the first two girls found, her body was left in an alleyway by some rubbish. Clark May, the man who found her, said, I opened the rear gate and I saw a naked body lying just outside the gate. She'd been dead somewhere between 20 hours and three days, which is quite the spread. That is like a really wide range. It's a wide range. Uh, her body was covered in dirt. Her underclothes had been removed after she was killed. None of her clothes or things were found at the scene. Hmm. She'd been asphyxiated, possibly with her own clothing. But no clothing was found. But no clothing was found. Hmm. And her clothes were removed after she was dead. Huh. Swelling on her face suggested she may have also been struck. Abrasions found on her neck uh, suggested she may have been trying to release the pressure of whatever it was that was strangling her. 
Where there was semen present on both Hannah and Irene, Helen's body was clean, but she also had teeth missing that had been removed, and there was a piece of one of the teeth found in her throat. What's interesting, though, is that, so they're trying to construct a timeline of events. Uh, She'd been killed elsewhere. She'd been strangled and laid down on her back. Her teeth appeared to have then been removed after she was strangled and dead. And about eight hours after that, her clothes were removed, and she was transported to the alley where she was found. And they're able to tell because of, of, I guess, indentations from where she was laying with the clothes, and then you take them off after. So they're, they're looking at the dirt that was found on the body, and what they discovered is it wasn't just dirt. It was coal dust as well as paint particles. That's so specific. Well, the paint particles were ones that came out of like kind of like a spray gun nozzle. Oh. So their theory being that maybe this person worked at a garage or was using one as a murder location. That's a good indicator. Yeah. But once again, you have a young woman who was working as a sex worker. She did not have a good relationship with her family. <clears throat> she left home at the age of 16. In 1960, when she was 18, she gave birth to a son. She gave him up for adoption. In 1962, she was charged with robbery. By the time she died in 1964, she was working, again, as a sex worker. And police are trying to figure out, okay, well, what were her last few days like? She seemed to have not been in the greatest state mentally. Most of these women also had some kind of drinking problem or at least drank pretty heavily because they were seen around the pubs a lot. Okay. Uh, There was reports she was depressed, as well as conflicting reports as to when exactly people had seen her. They were able to figure out she'd been seen on a club on Wednesday, April 22nd, leaving at about 4.15 a.m. And her body was found two days later. So most likely, wherever she left, she she met the killer from there and was murdered. Now, the pathologist would later say she'd been dead for about two days, um, which would... that tracks with everything she been died sure. sometime on Wednesday uh, but that's it that's it they've got the particles they've got like a time of death nothing else so police start looking to see if there's any other deaths that could be connected to this string of killings and wouldn't you know it a few others popped up that had some startling similarities well look at that mm-hmm. the first one dating back to 1959 oh dang So police were patrolling uh, at about 4.30 a.m. PC Mills spotted the body of a woman from behind a tree facing the river. And initially thinking, okay, well, maybe this woman is drunk. (laughs) You know, she's just like hanging out in the river. Um, Stopped the car, approached her. Her eyes were open. Her dress was torn, revealing her breasts. She also had scratches on her throat, which again tells us she was maybe trying to pull something away from her throat. Mm -hmm. PC Mills would say... She was quite cold and obviously dead. There was no identification on her. She was about 5'5", slender with brown hair, about 120 pounds. She had scrapes on her feet, and her feet were dirty. Huh. And she had missing teeth. She'd recently had sex. Uh, Whether or not that was related to the killer or was the killer, there was nothing to indicate that it was forcible um she'd been manually strangled it took about two days for someone to be able to identify the body but she would be identified as 21 year old elizabeth fig now like some of the other victims she was estranged from her family one of the detectives attended her service and would later comment it was just me and the undertakers the vicar thanked me for coming i felt sorry for her That's so sad. It's really sad. And part of why I keep bringing this up about their families and the state of things is that, I mean, it really shows you how vulnerable these women were, um, where most of them weren't even being reported missing. And how easy it is to target women and and individuals like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Elizabeth's murder had many similarities to the other murders. Um, She is often lumped in as being part of the official victim count, although it's not been officially confirmed. Okay. 
let's jump ahead to a little closer to our crimes. Uh, November 8th of 1963, 23-year-old Patrick Deneen uh, was, was working construction. And he was working a machine when he spotted something that he thought was a dead animal. Ah. I was driving over it, and I didn't take a lot of notice, although I did notice a horrible smell. I saw two legs hanging out of the shovel. There was a stocking on one of them, and I stopped my machine and shouted to the foreman, there's a body there. What a rude awakening. Right. Under about two feet of rubbish, they would find 22-year-old Gwyneth Reese. Now, her body was in much worse shape. It was decomposing. The head had separated from the body. Ooh. She was naked except for nylon stockings, which had been rolled down. Uh, One of the bones in her neck was broken, but the body was in such poor shape. The police couldn't determine if this was broken because of strangulation or from, like, the machinery when it was discovered. Which makes sense. Which makes sense, Yeah. yeah. She was about 5'3". Uh, she had convictions for solicitation and one for theft. Police at the time thought it could have been an illegal abortion gone wrong. Oh. So that wasn't uncommon. If, if somebody botched an abortion and the mother died, you know, you dump the body. You don't want it traced back to you. But now they're looking at her as being a possible victim. So they've got their three confirmed victims, two more possible ones. And the newspaper headlines are dubbing this killer Jack the Stripper. That's such a choice. <laughs> it's some, I mean, I get it. It's the UK. They're making a play on Jack the Ripper, which is killed similarly in that he killed, you know, sex workers. But like, really? So it'd be months before the killer would strike again. Uh, July 14th of 1964, three workers were decorating a restaurant in Chiswick High Road. It's just after two in the morning. So one of the workers, William Kerwan, would later say, I saw a vehicle drive up the service road and reverse towards the pedestrian passageway, stopping and reversing for about eight or ten feet. And this caught his attention. Like, that's a little weird. It's late. Yeah, it's late. Um... Or early, I guess, depending on your sure. definition. And the car, it would look like a van, was light gray. It had its lights off. Ooh. Yeah. If you want to not look suspicious, maybe don't turn your lights off. Don't be suspicious. Don't, don't be, be suspicious. suspicious. <laughs> don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Um, so, you know, being a rational man, he hollered, I love this, who that out there? <laughs> Wait, can you do it again? Who dat out there? That is what the quote reads. Who dat out there? Nice. Yep. Now, the dude in the car is like, oh, my bad, and peaced out. A couple hours later, about 4.45 a.m., George Hurd was uh, leaving. He worked as a chauffeur, but he was getting ready to, to drive his daughter on a trip. And he'd say, I looked out of the window to see what sort of day it was, and I noticed what I thought was a tailor's dummy lying in the entrance to the garage of number 48 Bermude Road. I went over there and found it was the body of a woman. She was naked. She was sort of cross-legged with arms folded and her head slumped forward. Dut, dut, dut. Wow. Love the assumption that it's a dummy. Well, what I love is like, okay, on the one hand, if you're not somebody who's obsessed with Murder. And this is 1960s, so, you know, people weren't thinking the same way. I could understand not looking out the window and immediately thinking something is a dead body. You're like, oh, it's an animal. Oh, it's probably a dummy or a doll. In 2022, that's what you do. If you see something and it, it's, like, vaguely body-shaped, you assume it's a dead body. For but sure. we've learned. We've learned things. And we also have the internet. <laughs> we have the internet. Uh, So he called police. When they got to the scene, they noted the strange position of the body. It was kind of like tipped over her right knee. This body also had particles on it, like what were found on Helen um, Bartholomew, implying she had been at the same spot. This also made them wonder, does the killer have some kind of layer or area he's comfortable using where he is keeping these bodies, possibly killing these bodies? Her back is dirty, So the pathologist thought, well, okay, so she's on her back after she died, um, but before she was moved. She'd been strangled like the others, uh, 
it was also from the marks. It looked like she'd been strangled with her own clothes. She had a large bruise on her chest, hmm. which means she was probably struck there. She had missing teeth like the others, although um, once she'd been identified, it was revealed that at least her front two teeth had already been removed prior. Like prior to her Prior death? to her murder. Like she was missing some teeth ah, okay. from life, like from, in, in from life. life being shitty. Yeah, Got it. Classic um, she, uh, British teeth issues, I'm assuming. I, I mean, yeah. Um, she was petite, just over 5'1", around 110 pounds. Fingerprints would identify her as 30-year-old Mary Fleming. Uh, she married a private in the Royal Army Medical Corps, gave birth to their son in November of 1953. Her husband was then stationed in Germany. So she lived with her parents. And then they had some kind of falling out. Her and her mom, like, knocked heads. And, and so she left in 1954 and left her son there. And after her husband left the army, he returned to their son. And far as I was able to tell, didn't really have much contact with Mary. Uh, after he was told she had died, he said he'd received a letter from her about a year and a half prior that apologized for leaving. But that was the last time he'd heard from her. She had a second child in 1956, would be arrested for soliciting for the first time. She would then be arrested later on for stealing. In 1962, she had her third child and then another in 1963. A woman that knew her would later say, I felt sorry for her because I knew she had nothing. That's so sad. It's really sad. And it, I mean, again, it's, it's a trend. It's a yeah. trend. These are, these are vulnerable people who are targeted and we're going to keep hammering this point home um because it's it's a it's i don't know i always kind of see it as a way society is failing oh one of the many ways one of the many ways but it's it's well you're gonna see some of the attitude uh towards a few of these women i'm gonna keep getting into because it's it's just it's where i bristled so much at the jack the stripper moniker is that Man, these women already had really rough lives. Yeah. And this on top of it. And then to be kind of a punchline in in a weird serial killer's book is just not... It's a slap cool. in the face. It's a slap in the face. Yeah, for sure. I could see that. So she was last seen uh, on July 10th, which was four days before her body was found. And people are... I, I don't want to say they're panicking because if, you know, your, your average person in London is like, well, I'm not a sex worker, so this is fine. But um, this is not great. It's alarming. It's scary. Uh, police are trying different things. You know, they've got female officers posing as sex workers to try to lure the guy out, which sounds kind of dangerous, but, you know, whatever. Um, newspapers are having a field day. But... I mean, like what we're saying, the, the women are being spoken about. It's just gross. There was this article that ran in the news of the world, and it said, perhaps the biggest embarrassment for the yard are the unsolved street girl murders. Street girl. That's how we're referring to them. That's classy. The identity of the sex maniac who tours the vice areas of Bayswater and Notting Hill looking for slightly built prostitutes is still not known. The perverted murderer, who may have killed four or five times, has presented Scotland Yard with its most baffling problem since Jack the Ripper. And they had to say Jack the Ripper because... Of course they did. Jack the Stripper. Mm-hmm. Of course. Oh, it's just, it's... I feel like this is bringing me back to, like, every episode that we ever discuss that's frustrating. Yep. And I feel like you have a real solid way of finding the most frustrating ones. Kim wins the award. <sighs> it's a talent I wish I didn't have. Um, but eye-opening for people that didn't know about it. So also like yeah. a blessing yeah. and a curse. Blessing and a curse. Um, I just hate that it's just like, and then another marginalized person was murdered. And then another one. And then another one. And then they joked and, about it. And then they got made fun of for a bit and and called street girls, you know, and yeah, it's it's it just it, it does it it gets weirdly depressing in a way. Uh it just kind of it kind of gets to you. Yeah. Um so 
not a lot of faith being shown to law enforcement, honestly, beyond the paint particles, which is a solid lead. They've got nothing. And they're about to have another body. November 25th of 1964, the body of a woman was found under a bin lid in a car park. Like the previous victims, she was naked. Unlike the other victims, her body had started to badly decompose. Hmm. When it was found, it was covered in maggots. Oh, no. Yeah, you're welcome for that. Cause of death was asphyxia due to pressure on the neck. Um, She had been stripped of her clothing after her death. She had three teeth missing and a piece of plain paper put in her vagina. What? Yeah, that was a one-off. I don't I don't know what that was about. They also found on her paint particles. Ah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's interesting. Becoming, it's becoming consistent across all these bodies. And remembering the first two bodies had been dumped in the water. So it's possible they had paint particles on them too. But it just came off. But it came off. Hmm. Now identifying this victim was was difficult because of, of how badly decomposed the body was. Mm-hmm. They could tell she was about five foot one. And weighed about 98 pounds, but I had a question about this because I was like, well, the body is decomposing. I don't know if that's a super accurate way. I was going to say, that's a tiny person. It was, she was, I mean, and, and these have all been petite women. Yeah. Um, mostly short on the, you know, five foot to five, three or so. Um, she had a tattoo on her left forearm that said Helen and mom and dad. Oh, Police were able then to get a hit off of her fingerprints. They identified her as Frances Brown, who also went by the name Margaret McGowan. She was last seen on October 23rd, which was about a month prior. Like the other victims, she'd had a rough life. Uh, She had a record by age 11. Oh, dang. Yeah, for stealing. She left school at 15. Her mother would later say, I had a terrible time with her. She was staying out all night, and I had no idea where she was. She gave birth to her first child, a daughter, in April of 1961 at the age of 18, uh, left her daughter with her mother. A few months after that, she would get her first solicitation charge. She gave birth to a second child, a boy, in March of 1963, and then experienced what I'm assuming was some pretty severe postpartum depression after the birth of her second child. Sure. Um, she went to an institution because she had suicidal thoughts. She was prescribed a whole lot of tranquilizers and sleeping pills. So, you know, Oof. that solves the problem. Uh, oh, but yeah. she was released. Yeah. Her son was adopted. She signed over custody of her daughter officially to her parents. She'd have a third child in May of 1964. A woman who knew her, Vicki Barnett, would say she was a jolly girl, but she could sink into Moreau's moods. Hmm. I relate (laughs) deeply. (laughs) Uh, So Scotland Yard is doing this like door to door kind of operation. But, you know, what what do we know still? We know the paint particles. We know the gray van from that close encounter. Um, That's still basically it. That's not much. No, it's that's nothing. It's nothing. Uh, On February 12th of 1965, a woman named Thelma Schwartz was running late for work. It was about 5.45 in the morning, so it's still dark, which is, you know, creepy. Uh, She heard a noise. Hmm. And she said, it was too noisy for birds, and I realized it was someone rustling leaves or some other dead vegetation. Being a rational woman, she was like, nope. Peaced out, starting to run. Smart. Yeah. Four days later, on February 16th of 1965, near that same spot where Thelma Schwartz had been walking, a man named Leonard Beauchamp, 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 I don't know, Beauchamp? Fancy. Fancy. Uh, He was working, uh, he went to grab some supplies from a shed, and he noticed something covered in brush. I first noticed a pair of feet, and I could see them up to the ankles. My first reaction was that I was looking at a dummy. Yeah, a dummy with painted toenails. Oh, that's so creepy. <laughs> Just like thinking of a dummy with painted toenails. With painted toenails. <laughs> I didn't even like, know dummies had toenails. I mean, I guess you could like paint them on. <laughs> the way you just said that. I like that's kind of off-putting. Although now I kind of want to go paint some like mannequin toenails just to fuck with people. It'd be funny if you could sneak into a mall during holiday season and just like prank <sighs> people by painting toenails on mannequins. It'd be a good time, but people would get so freaked out. Love it. Anyway, um, 
Continue. Well, so he, <laughs> he goes back to work, but he's like, hey, y'all. Uh, hey, guys. Guys. Guys, I think there's a body out back. Not a dummy. Paint the toenails. Not a dummy. <laughs> so the, the brush on her body was an obvious attempt to hide it. Uh, on her left arm, there was a tattoo of the name Mick. She's about five foot one, about 126 pounds, dark hair, small nose with light brown eyes and pierced ears. She had missing teeth. She also had a dental plate that was missing. Interesting. Yeah. Marks on her body, once again, uh, indicated that she was in her bra and stockings after her death. She had abrasions on her neck, suggesting she had clawed at whatever was strangling her. She'd been dead about a month. Oof. Likely stored in a cool place or even a refrigerated spot for a couple weeks. That's a long time. It's a long time. Uh, she had paint and dust particles on her skin, matched the others. Cause of death was asphyxiation due to pressure on her face and neck. This is very consistent. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's not he's not like flashy about it, but you know, women strangled mostly with their own clothing, kept in their clothing after death, laid on their back, clothing removed, body sometimes stored, teeth, teeth. removed. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, I, I wonder with the initial bodies being dumped in the Thames, if part of that was, it was becoming uh, like risk of being seen became too great. It's like dumping a body into the river. That's not something you can hide super easily. I'm also wondering like why removal of teeth? Like, is that to help like hide identity? You think? No, no. Cause, Cause he, there was no, and it wasn't all the teeth. It was just some. Like random teeth. So to me, it's either trophy mm. or one of the, th- oh God, this is so awful. I wasn't even going to talk about it, but one of the theories one of the detectives had is that, uh, that the women were asphyxiating on their while teeth. Being f- no, while being forced to perform oral sex. So teeth removed prior to death? No, because it looks like the teeth were always moved after That's death. That's what I was so, going to say. Then why the common sense in my brain? I hate to say this, but the common sense in my brain is to remove the teeth before the. If that's how no, that's when the when the detective was making that theory, I was like, except if teeth are being removed afterwards, like if you're fighting point? for your life, there is no delicate way to say this. You're gonna bite down. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, why remove the teeth afterward if that's and a and thing? also if if their marks if they have marks these abrasions on their neck like they're pulling at something on their neck, like unless they were being strangled at the same time. Which but I the also feel like the technicality of that is very difficult to. Well, and if you're strangling someone at the same time, I feel like almost reflexively you'd bite down. Yeah, and then but it defeats the whole purpose of teeth being removed after the fact. Exactly. So huh. I, 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 trophy is my best guess. Is it some kind of trophy? Um, but <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I just figured I'd mention it. No, no, it's it's a fair it's a fair question. Um, fingerprints would show it was the body of twenty seven year old Bridget O'Hara, uh, known as Britty to her friends. Like the other girls, she had a number of convictions for solicitation. Britty was last seen on Monday, January 11th of 1965. She told her husband she was going to go borrow some money from a friend because they were broke. Instead, she went out working. He reported her missing on February 3rd. Rather than list her as missing, she was listed as a prostitute who had walked out on her husband. Oh. Um, to give you an idea of, of how gross some of the detectives were about these women, one of them was on record as saying about Brittany. She was an unsavory individual who would prostitute herself to the lowest order, as did the other murder victims. From time to time, she left her husband to cohabitat with other men, having little regard for the type of person she lived with. Oh my God, that's messed up. It's messed up. And again, it's this attitude. Well, you know what? If they didn't want to be murdered, they shouldn't have been sex workers. Just the like shame put into that oh, though. Like absolutely. complete disregard for like human life in general. Like 
That's awesome. Well, it, it puts a value on who deserves our empathy and who deserves our time and who deserves the efforts to find their murderers. It's yeah. saying, mm, this one is not as important because I disagreed with her lifestyle. Um, I hate and society. That, uh, well, and again, I, that attitude, um, you see it too often in a lot of these cases. And we, we've, we're beating this dead horse, but there is a reason why a lot of serial killers target uh, sex workers and marginalized people, people who are not listened to, people who the police don't believe. Or they don't look or for. don't look for or who have an attitude of they don't matter. They are yeah. not people. And not much has changed in, like, the 20 years between him and Ridgway. Sadly, sadly, it's not. Um, the story, though, it's it's becoming more sensationalized, uh, which also meant that the papers were getting more and more inaccurate. And more fun with their titles. More fun with their titles. Uh, a decision is made to bring in the big guns. Detective Chief Superintendent John DeRose, who was nicknamed... You know, I saw two versions of the nickname. Some said five-day Johnny, and some said four-day Johnny. I'm sorry, of what? How, of how quickly he solved the cases. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> No, because he solved cases real fast. But I, okay. it was weird. Even across reports, some of them referred to him as five-day Johnny, and some called four-day Johnny. And I Just was like, they couldn't make up their mind of how many couldn't days make it up took. their mind. Yeah. It's, it's, did it take him a full week? Did it take him only four days of the week? Who I, knows? You know? Leave it. Maybe some cases were four days and some were five and they couldn't make up their minds. Uh. So DeRose starts this massive interview process. Um, he has a theory that the killer must be smaller, like a smaller man. And that's why he's targeting small women. What? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Thank you. I was going to ask what you thought about that. So this I appreciate you said that. Well, I, just, <laughs> I mean, like. General and and in all fairness, in all fairness, this is the the mid sixties. The understanding of methodology of serial killers was was very rudimentary. We didn't even call them serial killers at this no, point. No, not yet. We called them, you know, sex maniacs and perverts and mass murderers, but we didn't call them serial killers. So, I I sort of understand not appreciating the idea that some serial killers have physical types. Um, I mean, Bundy certainly did. Yeah. Long dark and hair, some middle part. Yeah. And some serial killers are, are using their victims as, as stand-ins for something or influenced by, so, uh, I mean, is that possible? Sure. But probably not. Probably not. It could even just be a power thing where they like feeling extra superior and big to a small woman. Yeah. Um, maybe because they're smaller or maybe just because it gives them that extra rush. I don't know. Well, and, and we'll be talking about this next week a little. It, it could play in to the identity of one of the killers as to why he liked small women, but we're jumping the gun a little. D Rose theorized that he worked a job exposing him to, um, the sort of spray camp particles that we're finding on the women and that he had access to a spot where he could keep the bodies. But I mean, again, like, yep. Yep, these are all things we already knew, buddy. <laughs> like, but okay. Uh, one thing that did happen, however, a few yards away from where Britty's body was discovered, they found a match to the paint particles that were found on some of the bodies. It was on a transformer that oh, was right there. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting because right by that shed and that transformer, there was a paint spring spot. Like a factory type place. Sure. <laughs> so they, they test the paint and it's a match. The bodies have been stored on the Heron Trading Estate where they found Britty's body. And this place, it's like a giant factory park. Mm -hmm. There were 35 factories on this estate. I, I wasn't really familiar with this idea, but yeah, they just have all these factories. It's like the industrial district, sure. I guess. Yeah, that makes you know. sense. Um, and this one specific spot, Napier's Aereo Engines LTD, was vacant. Hmm. And particles there match those found on the bodies. So we know at least the last four had been stored there. Factory closed in August of 1963. No security. You don't need a key to get in. In fact, there was workers who used it as a shortcut to, like, pass through. Mm -hmm. Sometimes couples would come to get neckin'. Neckin, not naked, neckin, or neckin naked. 
naked necking, whatever. River na- river nude. River nude. Uh, <laughs> so this is this is big because they found the spot where he's keeping the bodies. But it also you have to ask yourself, okay, why did he dump a body right by where he has been keeping the bodies? Was he interrupted? Like that woman walking to work and he freaked out and so he took off? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Was he ready to move on? Maybe. Was this going to be his last kill? Maybe. It's odd, right? Yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Now, they declare they have a list of suspects. Police are like, we got, we got suspects. We got good suspects. You just, you just wait. We're going to narrow it down. Then we'll get back to you. That was kind of a lie. I mean, like, there was, yeah, there was some names being bandied about, but um, no arrests, no, no suspects, and no further bodies linked with Jack the Stripper. Why do you think they did that? Announced it? Yeah. That they had I th- all these sus- suspects. I think they were trying to scare people. I think they were, I, they, there was multiple times they would address the killer through the press. And it's, it's a tactic you can use if people are panicking and thinking that the police know about you or know something about you, they may start messing up because they like try to dump stuff or try to, to move or um, it, it's a way to try to force someone's hand. Sure. Okay. It's you see it more often though when there is like specific people they're targeting and they'll say they have information they really don't. Mm. Like that's a really common tactic to come into the Well, I get that's how you get a lot of false confessions. You come in and you're like, "Listen, we know you did it. We have all the evidence. We have everything we need to prove it. So why don't you just make it easier for everybody? Cuz then we can all go home and just sign this confession. Cuz we've got you. We know what you did." We have the evidence. Your friend over there told us everything. Make it easy. Make it easy for yourself. Because if you confess, you know how much easier it's going to be on you? We're doing you a favor by giving you this chance. So messed up for the innocent people that that happens to. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's a tactic. That is used to get conf- – like, that's not old. That is no, a, That's how they get it now. Yeah. Um, There's a Netflix show called The Confession Tapes that's literally mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's why I'm a big supporter of the Innocence Project. Everyone, mm-hmm. if you have some extra money and you want to know a great charity to donate to, might I suggest the Innocent Project? They do amazing work. And they don't pay us to say that. They really don't. And and they are highly, if you're somebody who tracks like the scores for the various charities, they have a very, very high score. They are, I, I have nothing but respect for the work they do. Um, they are really remarkable. Uh, now all this being said, again, even though the police were not announcing suspects, it doesn't mean there weren't suspects, including one who at the age of 15 was convicted of murdering two young girls. Huh. But this is a lot of things to cover in one episode. That is true. That is true. We are going to be stopping here and picking up next time. To start looking at the suspects because, man, that's where things really get interesting. Nice. I can't wait. I'm really excited to hear about part two. Uh, and a uh, way to bring attention to a topic that I, we, I haven't heard of, you didn't know much about. I'm I, was, s- I can't wait. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Should, should be a good time. And this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? Uh, I did go and see Violent Night. Oh, and? Oh, man, that's delightful. That is a delightful movie. Um, I hear some people saying it's like Die Hard with Santa. Okay. Uh, for me, it had a little bit more of a dead uh, Deadpool vibe to it. Deadpool's fun. Deadpool's real fun. I mean, again, that kind of like irreverent humor. Um, yeah. David Harbour is the Santa Claus I didn't know I needed in my life. <laughs> David Harbour, I have never been attracted to Santa Claus before. And yet 
I don't know, man. He was doing it for me. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> oh, my God. That's the best thing I've heard you say in a long time. <laughs> I'm just saying. I was like, you know, he's kind of a badass. He gives you presents. He appreciates some good cookies and milk. As, don't we all? <laughs> don't we all? Like, tell me this is not a great man. Um, and there's some other backstory stuff that I also found appealing that I can't really get into without giving away a plot point. So fair. Uh, no, it's it was it was a real good time. Um, there was a couple times I think the the script and the story didn't fully know what it wanted to be. It it kind of becomes a little bit. A little, it has kind of a Home Alone vibe going on at times and, and going a little bit more almost like it wants to be a family-friendly movie, but I'm like, this is not a family-friendly movie. <laughs> Definitely not, um, but up your alley. Well, it's, it, it was, again, it was, it, was, uh, it was really fun. It was silly. It was funny. And the kind of, it's, it, it was marketed as, as being vaguely horror, like especially mm. the poster. And the title, it, it made it look like it could be a horror film. It's not. It's it's very much an action movie uh, and a comedy. But it was it was a really good time and and a lot of fun. And if you want just a you know romping kind of Christmas movie, <laughs> uh, then then I would absolutely recommend it. I'd recommend seeing it in theaters if you have the opportunity. It's one of those ones that it makes a difference to see it in theaters. Okay, good to know. Uh, yeah, I, I also watched, and this is for the more, like, straight movie crowd, um, I've been trying to catch up on some things because I'm recording with the the City of Geek Boys. We're going to be doing our end-of-year wrap-up, our, our top ten and our uh, most disappointing three. So I've been catching up on a lot of things I hadn't had a chance to watch yet. And I watched um, Emily the Criminal. Oh, I heard that's so good. With Aubrey Plaza. I love I Aubrey Plaza. I really liked it. She is so Good. I haven't she seen it yet, but it's really on good. my list. I won't give a whole lot away other than to say um, she is uh, – she has student debt. She has a lot of student debt. And what happens when you are struggling to pay your student debt, the interest keeps making it go higher and higher and higher, which means your payments go up and um, you get kind of trapped in this system. Mm-hmm. And so she is given the opportunity um, – to basically be paid to do a quick fraud, a little bit of credit card fraud. And um, it kind of spirals from there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really liked is that this is the kind of character where you're like, it's not that a character like this or a story like this hasn't been told before. You just don't get to see it told with a woman very often. Oh, that's fair. And so I I thought Aubrey Plaza, I thought this was this was just really a role she she just shines in. That's um, awesome. And uh I I really enjoyed it. It's streaming on Netflix, I think. So it's it's also easy mm-hmm. to watch. <laughs> but uh yeah, if 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 you want something that's just it's it's really great acting. The the other actor in it, and I know him, I think initially Theo Rossi. He was in, I knew him first from um, Sons of Anarchy, but then he was also in Luke Cage. Okay. Uh, and pops up in all kinds of things. But he's he's really good in this. I, I, nice. I always like him when I see him. But, like, those two have really nice chemistry, and it was just, uh, it was a really good time. So I, I recommend, if you have the opportunity, to, to watch Emily the Criminal on Netflix. And I love that it's, like, a more of a drama role for her mm-hmm. than oh, like absolutely. comedy because mm-hmm. she definitely is more well known for her comedy moments. Mm-hmm. I know we both love a um, Parks and Rec moment. Parks and um, Recreation. And she's actually like super tight within the comedy scene of all those people I follow <laughs> in oh, the yeah. comedy scene. Fun fact, like she's into super spooky stuff too. Like she was on... Uh, I would believe that. <laughs> yeah, she she was on um, a Funny Feeling podcast talking about a bunch of that stuff and it, it's... Mm. I'll have to send you the episode, but um, it's you would probably be super into it. Uh, yeah, she's definitely of our cut from the same cloth as us, I would say. Um, and so she I, is I a very Aubrey talented Plaza. dramatic actor, and I appreciate that she's been given now that she's gotten older, because she always had such a youthful face, and she does so much with her expressions, like her yeah. eyes. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think now that she's starting to look more, less like I'm in my early 20s and I could be in college, and more like uh, I'm, I'm uh, you an know, adult, not, adult. An adult adult, like mm-hmm. an official. Like she's got a little bit sharper bone structure. I felt really similar about Alison Brie. There was a, mm-hmm. a, a big period of time where she had just this very youthful face where she looked like she was perpetually 21 years old. And then she got a little bit older and and the bone structure changed a little bit. And I'm like, ah, you are now an adult. And I'm not thinking of you as, as like that girl in community who, you know, is, is like uptight Annie. So, um, yeah. Anyway, nice. uh, That's awesome. what you've been watching. I have that on my list. Emily, the criminal, I'm going to watch mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's taken me a really long time to get through all of it. But mm-hmm. I watched 1899 on Netflix. Oh, I've been really curious about that. It's been on my list to start, but I haven't had time. Holy shit, dude. This is a, first of all, there's two things you know about me. I love trash TV, but you I do love also trash TV. love a period piece. You do love a period and piece. And then I also really love weird things. So you like, like all of these things. These are your favorites. And I also love comedy. So That is true. <laughs> some of the things that are not involved in 1899 are comedy. It's not in it. Um, unless you're like, that didn't, really. That didn't strike me as a comedy. No, it's, but, you it's know. definitely like a, um, almost like a sci-fi thriller horror vibe. Mm, um, I like these things. I felt like, like within the first two episodes, I was like, this feels like a period piece and Twin Peaks had a baby. <gasps> like it is weird. It is very bizarre. Okay. Um, it basically, I don't want to give away anything because right. it's, so bizarre that like every time an episode ends you're like wait what like it, it doesn't make sense and then you have to watch the next episode right so like love very easy to binge but what's really interesting about it so the premise of it is there's a woman from um from somewhere in the uk and mm-hmm. she's like focused on as one of the main characters and she's on a ship that it's very, I had very much like Titanic vibes. This happened, obviously, 1899, the title of, sure. of the show. So massive ship in 1899 going from um, the UK to New York. And uh, there's a variety of people that are on the ship. And everyone okay. speaks different languages, which is really interesting. So there's lots of subtitles in this. But there's mm-hmm. like a like multitude of different languages spoken and oftentimes spoken to each other. And I'm constantly like, how do they understand each other? They're speaking different languages. So my huh. brain couldn't like wrap myself around that portion of it. Right. But also then there's the understanding that, oh, they don't understand each other, but they're just trying to figure shit out. And so that makes it even weirder. Um, But the premise essentially is that this woman is by herself on this ship. Within the first five minutes, you see some flashbacks of her being in like an insane asylum, saying her name, what day it is. This Mm -hmm. is, this is where I live. This is my life. This is where I am right now. And then it makes you question, is this reality or is this a flashback or did we just see a flashback or wh- where are we in time? Like, right. And so that's like, within the, I'm not giving anything away. That's like the first five minutes of the first episode. And she's on this ship that's going to America and they discover that they're all talking about the Prometheus, which is a ship that went huh. missing. Okay. For two months. I think it's two mm-hmm. months. I could be wrong. Maybe it was four. I don't remember. It was for a few months. And you kind of understand potentially that her brother was on this ship and okay. he sent her this like weird um, letter that was really crypt, like just cryptic, like didn't give a lot of information. And she thinks her dad's manipulating her. It's this really bizarre circumstance and they get a, a weird message to the captain of locations of like mm-hmm. a, latitude and longitude location and they go to it and they find the prometheus and it's fully abandoned and weird shit happens and Hmm. so that's kind of like the premise of it but when i say like i'm talking like twin peaks matrix shit like (laughs) weird very bizarre um i watched the whole thing i will say Mm -hmm. they did so much build Within the first half of the season or the the period of time that the show has been out, it's the first season of the show, that I was a little disappointed in how it wrapped up. 
Mm-hmm. But I really don't want to give anything away, especially since you haven't seen it yet. And I'm sure, sure a lot of people also haven't seen it. It just came out, at, I think, November 17th is when it came out. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember seeing it because uh, it was one I was going to recommend to my parents. Maybe we watched when I was visiting them and then we didn't because we had other things we watched. Yeah, it's, it's, I would say if you're going to watch it, like pay attention the whole time. Like I have shows that I watch that are like background noise that I just need to have on. This could okay. not be one of them. I had to pay attention to the whole thing, especially because there's so many languages that are spoken that you have to read the subtitles for everything for the most part. Um, so it's it's a really interesting approach. And I believe it was done by the same people that did Dark. Did you ever watch Dark? Oh, yeah. I liked that. Yes. So yeah. I hadn't okay. seen Dark. I actually started watching Dark. I've seen like the first half of the first episode. But um, I wanted to watch Dark specifically because I really liked this. So um, that should give you a little bit of insight. And then everything else I've been watching is mostly trash TV. Too Hot to Handle is back. It's a stupid show. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it. (laughs) But I love when a bunch of horned up hot people get together that are like thinking they're going to be able to hook up. And then they can't. And they're not allowed to. And it's very funny. Um, So that's basically what that is. And I've also been watching that. So, you know, a couple ends of the spectrum. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I am really (laughs) excited to watch... uh, Willow, which is on my Mm -hmm. to-do, because that is uh, on Disney Plus now. Um, Mm -hmm. I also watched Return to Oz. (laughs) I haven't seen that in a million years. Oh, I love that movie. Love it. It's such a horror movie, man. Like, I remember watching that as a kid, and I was, like, terrified. (laughs) Oh, it's so messed up. It's so messed up. All the heads? Horrifying. But it's amazingly messed up. Oh, for sure. 100%. It's great. I I turned it on and made Terrence watch it. And, like, he actually hadn't seen it until I showed it to him. So that was fun. Fun adventure. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to find us on socials, look up Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. You will find us anywhere. It, we are also on Patreon. If you feel generous and want to help make us more effective at what we do by giving us money so that we can produce more content for you, you can find us there. Um, and if you can't contribute financially, go on over to Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify. Give a rating, review. We really appreciate it. Having said that, happy holidays. Mm-hmm. Happy holidays. Looking forward to part two next yeah. time. Yeah. Having said that, stay, stay spooky. spooky.